Well, good evening. I want to welcome you and especially our brothers and sisters from New City Fellowship to this service of worship. We rejoice that you are able to join us for this service, which we had intended to do a year ago before our Monday Thursday service was canceled. And so this is a unique time because we we rejoice in the gathering together, especially in light of the past year when it's not been easy to gather. But of course, we gather on this particular occasion to lament. We gather to lament what the Christian world anticipates tomorrow, the death of Christ. But more particularly, we gather to observe and lament the events which occurred on that night that Jesus was betrayed. And so we have observed the Lord's Supper as he instituted it on that night. And we lament together Jesus' sorrow in the garden as he anticipated his impending death. And we lament the disciples' abandonment of him as they scattered in fear when he was arrested. We particularly lament the denial by our church's namesake, St. Peter, who brashly swore allegiance to the Lord even unto death, and yet who just hours later denied ever knowing him. And of course, we see in this denial and abandonment a reflection of our own doubt and denial and faithlessness for which Christ came to die. And so we lament our own sin and the darkness within which precipitated Jesus' death on that day that we call Good Friday. We lament those things because we identify so easily with Christ's disciples in their doubt and fear and denial. But there's another reason that we observe this Maundy Thursday service. There's another reason that it's my favorite service of the year, because in it we come to know liturgically, that is experientially or habitually, year after year, that Jesus Christ, the Son of God, the second person of the Trinity, has in his humiliation identified with us in our sorrow and lament. And that even in the greatest darkness we face, that darkness of our inevitable descent into death, Maundy Thursday reminds us that because Jesus identified himself with Adam's race by his descent into death, his people are identified with him in both his sorrow and in his victory. It reminds us that we have a Savior who lamented in his flesh and in his spirit all that he would suffer for his people. That his soul became sorrowful and overwhelmingly burdened with the darkness that lay before him. And that his death was real. The separation of body and soul, his being cut off from God the Father, it was to our Savior a real and a horrific prospect that rightly deserved lamentation. And that is why that we have chosen to structure our service this evening around some of the great psalms of lament found in Scripture, because they represent not only the range of human emotions, but also, and perhaps especially, they give expression to the emotions of Jesus during his last hours on earth. We're reminded through the psalms of lament that as we pray them, there is one who has gone before us, with whom we express our deepest griefs and sorrows. 
There is one on whose lips the psalms of lament find their fullest expression. And as one commentator has said, as we pray the psalms of lament, we gradually become aware that we are not alone in the darkness, for he is praying too. We are not alone, for Christ in his humiliation has identified with us, and therefore we are identified with him. Interestingly, I think that this is something like what the phrase about Christ's descent into hell in the Apostles' Creed is aiming at. I believe in Jesus Christ, who suffered under Pontius Pilate, was crucified, dead, and buried. He descended into hell. If you're new with us, We have been walking through a sermon series on the Apostles' Creed, and tonight we come to this phrase, He descended into hell. An appropriate topic on this night, and one we'll unpack for a few moments together using the Psalms of Lament to help us. So, what does the Apostles' Creed mean when it claims that Christ descended into hell? And is that even a biblical concept? Remember that the creed, like any confessional document, is subject to the scrutiny of Scripture. It's fallible, just like any doctrinal statement. And for that reason, some have suggested that the phrase, he descended into hell, should be struck from the creed, and that those who continue to confess it, like we do weekly here at New St. Peter's, are merely traditionalists. But I, I want to push back on that and seek to just do two things very briefly here this evening to, to first defend the place of the phrase biblically, at least as it's been historically understood throughout the centuries, and then to demonstrate its helpfulness in the Christian life. Because all biblical doctrine is given to us for our instruction and growth in grace. So, Why does the phrase, he descended into hell, belong in the Apostles' Creed from a biblical and also from a historical theological standpoint? Well, the phrase indeed found its way into the Creed relatively late in its development. It's said to have been solidified in the Creed by by the fourth century. And so one might wonder if this is the Apostles' Creed, one which is supposed to represent the simple biblical teaching of Christ's apostles, why are we dealing with a phrase that seems to have found its place in the creed centuries after they walked and taught? Well, I'll spare you the history lesson for tonight, but suffice it to say that while the phrase he descended into hell was solidified in the creed at a relatively late date, the concept of Christ's descent was present much earlier in the church's history. It was attested very strongly by the second century church fathers, beginning just a generation or two after Christ's apostles, and so it holds a long-standing place in the church's theology. But the question is, what does it mean? What's the creed talking about in biblical terms? Well, it should be noted here that in the Apostles' Creed, the Greek word translated hell is actually the word Hades. It's a word that we see in the New Testament that's roughly parallel to the Old Testament word word Sheol, the place of the dead. 
the place, or better yet, the state into which all people inevitably go who are born in Adam because they all die. In the Latin text of the creed, it's the word inferos, which refers not to a place of punishment per se, but again, the place of the dead or the underworld. It's the place toward which the psalmist in Psalm 88 sets his gaze when he says, my soul is full of troubles and my life draws near to Sheol. I'm counted among those who go down to the pit. This is the place in scripture that refers to the spiritual realm of the dead in general terms. It's the place toward which our Lord Jesus Christ has set his gaze when he says to his disciples in the garden, My soul is very sorrowful, even unto death. It's not a place like the New Testament word Gehenna for hell. It's not a place of eternal punishment for the rejection of God. Christ did not need to endure further punishment after his death. His work for sins was finished. It is very simply the place that all go, the righteous and unrighteous who are born in Adam and therefore subject to Adam's curse. It's the place, or again, better yet, the state in which body is separated from spirit in the most unnatural of breaches. It's a place of incompleteness. For there, even the righteous await that final reunion of body and soul at the restoration of all things. Now, let's push pause for a second because some of you right now are hearing me and you're thinking, wait a second, he's creating some third option after death where disembodied souls go and await for the final judgment, kind of like a purgatory. And I just want to dispel that thought right out of the gate. I'm not talking here about some third option. I'm talking about the one state that is common to all men and women who are born and live and die. We will all meet a day, unless Christ returns first, wherein our body will be separated from our spirit. That's death. The most unnatural thing in one sense, that can ever happen to mankind, the ripping apart of body and soul. And friends, what the creed is teaching us is this, Jesus Christ, the Lord and author of life, he met that day as well. That is, is, he endured every aspect of the curse of Adam's fall, the wrath of God, the punishment for our sin, and even the separation of body and soul in his descent into death. This is what Jesus himself said in Matthew 12, that just as Jonah was three days in the belly of the fish, so will the Son of Man be three days and nights in the heart of the earth. Probably the place that we see the the, the descent of Christ most explicitly taught in Scripture is Psalm 16, that great messianic psalm taken up by Peter in Acts 2, where it's clear that the Messiah would descend into Sheol, but not be left there. For there was a promise of resurrection. 
You will not abandon my soul to Sheol or let your Holy One see corruption. That's what the creed historically, especially in the Reformed tradition, has been understood to mean by the phrase, he descended into hell. That Christ Jesus, the Lord of life himself, descended even into the place of the dead and remained under the power of death until the third day. That is, he was subject to every aspect of Adam's curse as part of his identification with his own. Now, why is that helpful to us? And why is it not just a reiteration of what has already been stated, that Jesus died and was buried? I recently spoke to a saint who asked for a specific prayer And having recently received the COVID-19 vaccine, she was still experiencing some fear surrounding the virus. Like, what if the vaccine doesn't work? Or what if I catch it anyways and I'm high risk? So what if I contract a bad case and die? And then on top of that, all this, this last year of long, hard separation will have been for nothing. And on the one hand, you may be tempted to dismiss all that as irrational fear. The fear of death is anything but irrational, isn't it? I mean, the Bible itself calls death an enemy to be defeated. And often as Christians, we lean far too easily on to live as Christ, to die as gain. That's all true. And God is in control. And because of the work of Christ on our behalf, as Colin explained on Sunday, the moment we die, we will be with the Lord in spirit while our bodies rest in their graves, still united to Christ, awaiting the resurrection. And that is all good. But death is not good. And we have cause to be uneasy about it. Brothers and sisters, death is a curse. Our Lord himself was sorrowful when he met that day because He understood that it meant a cutting off from life, a descent into something that resulted from the curse of the fall. This, I think, is what the psalmist expresses in Psalm 88, beginning in verse 4. I'm counted among those who go down to the pit. I'm a man who has no strength, like one set loose among the dead, like the slain that lie in the grave like those whom you remember no more, for they are cut off from your hand. You've put me in the depths of the pit, in the regions dark and deep. In the words of Derek Kidner, death is an alien land. It is, from the standpoint of the living, the last word in inactivity and silence and the severing of ties and gloom and oblivion. And what the Apostles' Creed is getting at here is is not only that Christ died to atone for our sins, which is true and right, as Colin heralded so well on Sunday, but that in his death he went to the spiritual realm of the dead, identifying with the race of Adam, who all endure that separation of spirit and body. He really and truly experienced the reality of human death, and he wasn't just pretending. And because he identified with us in death, 
we can identify with him in sorrow. The psalmist in Psalm 88 goes on to describe all kinds of lamentable experiences known to man. He's shunned by his closest companions, something we observe about our Lord on this night. His eyes grow dim through sorrow. His, he, he experiences the wrath of God, something we observe about our Lord tomorrow. He, exper- he, he expresses the darkness of despair in the human heart, something our Lord certainly expressed in the garden on this night. And the point in all that is this. Jesus was a man of sorrows. And so those who are united to him must be acquainted with sorrow as well. Another way to say it is this, because I I don't think I have to convince you that you're acquainted with sorrow. Just as in Adam, all are acquainted with the sorrows in this life, so too Christ endured the sorrows of this fallen world. That's why he weeps when his friend Lazarus died, even though he knew he was about to raise him to life. Because his beloved friend had departed and gone to the place of the dead. He was in anguish over that death. Do you know that Psalm 88 is the only psalm of lament that does not end with a hopeful turn? Like all the other laments end in praise or hope or trust in the Lord you know what the last word in Psalm 88 is? Darkness. And it's a darkness that Jesus Christ our Lord knows well because he descended into death and remained under its power to identify with the greatest sorrow of his people. And so when you are sorrowful, lament. And in so doing, commune with Jesus Christ, the man of sorrows. But do so knowing that that final Easter is coming. And that because Christ has identified with us in his death and sorrow, we identify with him in his victory. So back to this idea of fearing death. Why is it in the New Testament that there's all of a sudden this far more hopeful tone around the idea of going to the place of the dead. It's almost as if there's a a radical break between the Old Testament teaching on the afterlife, Sheol, the place of the dead, and the New Testament teaching on the place that Christians experience that separation of body and soul in the intermediate state. Why is that? Because Jesus Christ didn't stay in the place of the dead. He rose from the grave, body and spirit reunited in glorious victory, and he ascended to God the Father so that all those united to him may be where he is. And we see this victory for the saints more clearly revealed in the New Testament because of the life and death and resurrection of Jesus. I love this passage that our brother Andrew Munvaneza preached months back when I attended worship at New City Fellowship from Hebrews 12. But you, 
believer in Christ in the time of the new covenant, have come to Mount Zion and to the city of the living God, the heavenly Jerusalem, and to innumerable angels in festal gathering, and to the assembly of the firstborn who are enrolled in heaven, and to God, the judge of all, and to the spirits of the righteous made perfect, and to Jesus, the mediator of a new covenant. Do you hear that? Where are the assembly of the firstborn, the spirits of the righteous made perfect, those who have died in the Lord? They are with him in the heavenly Jerusalem, worshiping at Christ's heavenly throne, even as we worship him here in the land of the living. They are dead, yes, but they are with Christ, the risen Lord, who has ascended in victory and who will return, bringing them with him to unite spirit and body in glory for all who believe in him. So that while death is something to lament, and it is, it is also no longer the final word For Jesus Christ has defeated it. And all those who are in him share in his victory over death, a defeated and dying enemy. Friends, on Monday Thursday, we reenact the impending death of our Lord, and so we have reason to be sorrowful. Sorrowful about his death and our sin and denial which precipitated it. Sorrowful about the curse of death, that separation of body and spirit, and our departure to the place of the dead or or the departure of our loved ones. But church, Maundy Thursday does not stand alone. Easter is coming when we celebrate the resurrection of Christ in victory and when we gather at the foot of Mount Zion with innumerable angels in festal gathering and the spirits of the righteous made perfect through their union with Christ, the risen one, and when we anticipate that glorious day when he and they with him will come riding on the clouds and the dead in Christ will rise and we will be transformed by the power that raised Jesus from the dead, And we will dwell with the Lord of glory for eternity, with death defeated and the curse fully and finally vanquished. Mourn on Thursday and Friday and Saturday. Rejoice on Sunday and hope in the coming of the Lord. In the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit. Let's pray.